0: Hi, you guys. Oh, I'm so happy you're tuning back. And thank you so much for checking in each week for these amazing Everyone Talks to Liz stories. You wanna meet someone today who has what could be one of the most impressive resumes we have ever had on Everyone Talks to Liz? Okay, so here, I'll give you a few hints here. At age 17, straight out of high school, he started working for Google as a software engineer. Uh, He took college courses, graduated all while he was working at Google. And then once he finished college, he got hired at Twitter as one of their first 50 employees. And he just now launched his first startup. Trust me, the list goes on. Larry Gadea, boy genius, computer whiz, and now founder and CEO of Envoy. This is a company focused on designing, how appropriate is this for the timing? The offices of the future, Larry has personally, for me, one of the most captivating stories because it begins thousands of miles across the Atlantic in Romania. As a baby, he and his family had to escape Romania, which back then was a dictatorship. They landed in Canada where that immigrant spirit kicked into high gear. And I cannot wait to tell you his story. Larry, welcome to
1: Everyone Talks to Liz. Kayla, Liz, thanks so much for having me. And congrats, by the way, on over a hundred episodes now, right? Yeah, you know, we're we're a little entrepreneurial
0: in our podcast efforts here too, isn't that amazing? It's like drops of water on a rock, eventually it'll make a dent. That's great, I love it. I wanna go to your story here. Uh, you were born in Romania, I'm half Romanian. And as a toddler, I guess two years old, you and your family had to flee the country. So this is this is starting already with this unbelievable refugee type of situation. And it, it ends up with such an incredible story of success. But what was what was going on in Romania at the time? Tell our listeners.
1: Yeah, I mean, so I was two years old, so so I wouldn't have direct experience as to all the complications there, but hey, it's it's basically it was this communist government and it was right near the end. But it was kind of like you never really knew what was going to happen. So, yeah, my parents were super not cool with the situation. And there's all this stuff going on internally. And they really wanted to get out of there. So it was really interesting. I basically got to this point where I got they when you leave the country, even if it's for like a vacation or whatever, you need to kind of they had this policy that you could go vacation as long as you leave a child behind. And like I was that child that was allegedly left behind. But little did, uh, I guess, everybody know, they kind of put me in the backseat of this car. And then off we went on our way through multiple countries to Germany, which is where we were kind of temporarily. And then basically from there to Ottawa, Canada, which is where I grew up.
0: OK, sorry, I have to stop and, and rewind the tape here. Now, I know you were probably too young to remember, but what were your parents telling you of the secret plan? I assume it was secret because same with Russia, you were not allowed to leave. I mean, great. Leave a child behind. They didn't check. And were you, were you hiding? Did they have you sort of underneath the
1: floor? It was like a hiding thing going on. Like, I mean, the, the point is that, like, they really, it's kind of these governments don't really want their people to all go. If your whole family goes, you're not coming back. And you're probably not going to be very positive about the, the communist regime, I guess. So basically, they, they wanted out. They wanted, they were very educated. They were, um, they kind of, my dad was working for, he was an engineer, he was working for like the local telephone company, like designed different switches and all that. My mom had like almost, I think it was like a master's in like biology. She was a school teacher teaching or that subject. And basically like they had it pretty good in terms of jobs, but they thought that, hey, for me and my brother, there could have been a much better place. And uh, and this started a whole process of uh, they, when they decided and it's like, hey, let's go. And and they did.
0: My my ancestors ended up in Canada as well. So Ottawa, why Canada? Were there relatives? Was there an opportunity there for
1: you? Yeah, I mean, it, it's so this was like, uh, what was this? Uh, early 90s, late 80s and, and COBOL, I guess COBOL is still back, but COBOL was a really big thing for the Canadian government. They needed people from anywhere in the world to help them with their, I guess, IBM mainframes. So my dad happened to know these things and, and he, his experience was perfect for this. And, and he was he applied there, they flew him in. He was only there on his own, probably for a good like two, three months while they did some sort of trial period. And then once they were good that he knows what he's talking about, they basically got visas for all the rest of us. And by the way, at this time we were in Germany and, and we had escaped from Romania. We went to Germany. My parents worked these jobs. My dad was like picking berries. My mom was like cleaning houses. And like this is the kinds of jobs you do when you don't have papers to be in a country. Well, and then basically from there to Canada uh, once uh, and legitimately that time.
0: Isn't that amazing? These incredibly well-educated superstars in technology and biology. And you do what it takes to save your family. I think people think that was way back pre-World War II or something. And but it really was as recent as the late 80s and 90s. So you're in Canada. What are your earliest memories there?
1: Yeah, I mean, so we we settled in Ottawa, Canada, the capital city there, which is also fitting, given that my dad worked for the government there. And earliest memories, honestly, it's just like it's it's really hard to kind of put the, to compare the two because I was really young in the time when when moving around. But hey, it's a new place. I remember big buildings. I remember boxes being shipped to us. Cause like we did have some stuff in in Romania and Germany. And it was very, very little. We could only bring very little, but I remember the box being bigger than me and, uh, and like being really scared what's in there. And they're like, no, 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 this, this was supposed to come. This is good. And uh, yeah, and it's just getting to know people. I didn't know English at the time. Now I was a kid, so kids somehow just learn languages, which is great. And uh, but I mean, just like that, I learned all these other things, especially my brother had a computer. Um, It was like this old 386 from from what I guess back then it was new and exciting. But uh, basically, I just used that. And that's that's what I really remember. But it's uh, it's really interesting, just like the the difference, even languages on a computer versus uh, that I was used to. You basically type in things and not even know what you're typing. But hey, it it changed colors. So it must be good.
0: Well, yeah, I mean, I'm thinking back to Pascal and all those early computer languages where you had to put in all these X's and O's, and then suddenly it did one rudimentary task. We've come so incredibly far, but what I want our listeners to know is you helped us come far. You have to tell me how you became the youngest person ever hired by Google. How did that happen? (laughs)
1: Yeah, it's, it really is about, it's a story of, it's a story of hard work and it's a story around passion. It's a story around liking what you're doing and wanting to do more of it. And, and it's around finding ways of helping others. And it's, 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 I I promise it's not a book, but it's like, it's basically what it is, is it's while I was at home, I had a lot of time. And as a kid, you do have some time and you, you can basically learn new things. Uh, my dad had been interested in computers. He had d- done a bunch of like he did more of the physical side, but um, but having that computer early on is it allowed me to kind of like you mentioned Pascal. I used Turbo Pascal back in a day, and I used QBASIC, and and it's like you you have to have these words like implementation, which I can even spell perfectly without it uh, without making a typo, and then it wouldn't work. I want to know why because I can't read the error message, but it's it's kind of like I gotta keep typing it over and over until it does work. So you just kind of learn over time and and with persistence you can you can create some really great things.
0: Yes, that's all very humble. How does a kid in Canada
1: who's 17 years old grab the attention of Google Larry? Hello, so so what, what happened, it seems like it happened. And by the way, this was never the intention. It's just kind of how things go, I guess. It's basically what happened is I, uh, so as I was growing up and I was, I was just spending more and more time on the computer, more and more time, we had the internet, we started getting some smaller, earlier things. By the way, uh, just as a quick side note, I ran the world's biggest Pikachu pictures website in 1999. So that's my dot-com boom uh, story. I was 12 at the time, might I add. Nice. Yeah, but it's, uh, and it's still online, PikaPics.com. It literally, it barely is up, but I keep it up just for like posterity's sake. It's kind of fun. PikaPix.com. Okay, I'm on it. Yeah. Right after it's, them. it's still applicable these days. Kids are like into that. And it's and it's like, wow, I, I used to be into that. I was, anyways, yeah. So, so basically how it happens is you do these kinds of projects. Like that was, I didn't have internet at home for that one. I basically wrote it on like, it was Netscape Communicator at the time. And then you would have to go to the public library you have to transfer the files as a person there that would like have the internet and then they would put it and upload it to the FTP server that you wanted. And it was that cycle that I did and, and got the website up and it's this kind of stuff. So basically, as I got older and older, I started getting in by oh, older. I'm talking about like now I'm 13, now I'm 14, now I'm 15. <laughs> um, I basically, okay, so now it's like, these are the teenage years. Now somebody who's on a computer all the time in their teenage years, like their, their form of rebelling is learning really crazy stuff about the computer. So in, in this case, when I was younger, I basically, what I did is I got into, it's called a game copy protection cracking. It basically is like there's these things that prevent a CD, like if you get a CD from a friend and you put it in your computer um, and you try to play it, it's going to say, no, it was copied, so you can't play it. So um, what I did is you can modify the executables of these things to make it such that it doesn't check for that CD anymore. Uh-huh. So, so basically what that requires is it requires a lot of you have to like know the executable format. You have to know all the different like how the machine actually reads the code, uh, which is very different from what people normally code these days. Like if, as a programmer, you code something very different from actually what it runs. And I learned this really well because this is what I just did. I I liked games. I liked like friends. And it's like basically this was this was how I understood how, how these computers worked. Now let's fast forward to actually answer your question. Let's fast forward to 2005. Google launches this product called Google Desktop Search. It basically let you search a computer much like you would the internet. So you type in like, I don't know, story about beavers, this is Canada. And, uh, and basically <laughs> uh, on Google, you get a whole bunch of stuff about beavers. But on, if you search with the Google Desktop Search installed, you get actual documents, Microsoft Word documents on your computer that, have, that are about beavers. And that's really interesting because I was like, oh, this is really cool. I can search for all my book reports and like all these other things that they made me do in school. So, but the thing is, you can't do that on, on its own. Like you can't you can't do it for every type of file. And I happen to be, because it's Canada apparently, I use WordPerfect, which is like, was a competitor at the time to Microsoft Word. Mm-hmm. And a whole bunch of, it turns out, and so, so I wanted made to, for it to work in WordPerfect. So I basically made all these modifications to the executable of Google, instead of a game this time, it was like Google's Google desktop search. And I made it also search WordPerfect files. And then I put it up online and then all these people, millions, literally millions of people in the span of like a couple days found out about this and installed this modification to the Google thing. Wow. And then it, it blew up. Why did it blow up? Well, it turns out a bunch of lawyers were required at the time by law to do transcripts in Microsoft uh, or in WordPerfect. So there was a really strong desire for people to search stuff on their computer, which was like lawsuit, I guess, like transcripts. And this thing just blew up. Everybody wanted uh, the ability to use this Google thing that searches really quickly your computer and it got the attention of Google after some amount of time, very quickly, might I add. And uh, yeah, that was that was fun.
0: <laughs> and they <laughs> hired you. Oh my gosh. So, you know, weren't you of college age at that point? You, said yeah, you it didn't was, go uh, to college, but you wanted to, so you were then going and, and working at the same time.
1: Yeah, you. You. Um, so yes, um, you have to. So so I was in Canada. So let's remember, I was in Canada. I was a Canadian citizen at that time. But the U.S. isn't so hot on people just coming down to the U.S. to work. So so that's no good. Um, the closest you can get to that is something like an internship. So how old was I? I was about 17 years old. And um, basically the, the question was, it was, they, I'd done the whole interview process. I like had the phone calls, all this stuff. I answered all the, the, the puzzles and all that goodness. And then I actually remember all the questions too. They're kind of fun, but regardless, it was a problem. Like, okay, so they were like, okay, cool. When can you start? And and I'm like, well, can I start it? Like, I don't know, maybe June, July. Like, I I still need to finish my high school. Um, I'm 17. I'm sorry. And they're like, you've got to be kidding me. You can't just have you can't, like you could have told us earlier. So basically, what was what was supposed to be a full time job then turned into a two month um, a two month what's it called internship. Okay on a trainee kind of like visa thing. And then after the two months, uh, I basically had the bright. So then I went there and here I was probably the youngest kid on campus. Uh, you should see pictures from before, super poofy hair. And, and it was like kind of wild. And it's still on my badge that I have summer on here. Um, and uh, basically they, it was good. It was like, I was doing exactly the stuff I was doing at home. They loved it and off it. And then I just renewed it nonstop uh, for basically four years hmm. on during the summers. And then uh, I'd be working, uh, what was it, 18-hour, 20-hour weeks wow. from, uh, while I was in school.
2: Hey, folks, it's your man, Keyshawn Johnson, here to talk about Angie, formerly known as Angie's List, your go-to home services, marketplace for getting all your jobs done well. Now you might be wondering, what exactly is Angie? Well, let me tell you, it's the nation's largest home services marketplace, connecting over 150 million homeowners That's Angie.com or download the app today to get started on getting all your jobs done. That's Angie, your trusted ally in home services. We're
0: not done yet. We'll be back in a moment. Give me one of the questions on the Google job application to see if I could ever get hired there.
1: Honestly, I'm gonna to have to remember all the details. Like, they they it's very detail oriented. So they do different things. Like, it's the classic rope thing where you burn one side at one point and the other one at another point, and then okay, like when do they meet? I'm an <laughs> idiot. I can't do the rope thing. Okay, well, you're not burning rope
0: all the time. <laughs> okay, you end up going to Twitter once you graduated. You were one of the first 50 employees. Yeah. What's interesting to me about that is, this is. This is the cowboy era, right? I mean, this is the wild west of yep. the internet. So what was it like working with Jack and Evan and Biz? Those, of course, were the three founders of Twitter.
1: Yeah, no, they're, they're awesome. I mean, okay, so I joined Twitter because I wanted something. I, I knew I always wanted to start a company, I just didn't know when and how and all that kind of stuff. But I knew that by joining Twitter versus continuing on at Google, uh, this was after I got my college degree so I could legally come here. Um, it was a great opportunity for me to really learn about companies. Twitter at the time was 40 people. And it was basically, yeah, it was Jack, Ev, Biz. Um, after a little while, uh, Dick Costello was there. And it's it was really interesting because these people, they all were very like, they just thought of the future as like this big anything's possible kind of world. Mm. And and let me remind you, I am from Ottawa, Canada, where like I grew up. That is a government city. Everybody there is like bred to become for the government. Yeah. So imagine like the conservative world of the government versus this high like cowboy era, it's a whole different world and especially when you compare it against stuff like Google and and my my experience there it's like a lot less organized too but it's like that kind of thing's okay when it's a small company everything's disorganized it's basically who can who can tolerate the environment versus who can't and i love that because uh,
0: you know people want to walk in the door into an office that's established and everything's ready folks you've got to break yourself with that some of the greatest gains come at the most Unsure times where you can't see around the corner, you don't know how deep or how shallow the water is that you're jumping in, or how cold or how hot. And you've got to do it because that's the real moment. You know, the biggest risk you can take is not taking risk. You've got to take risk. That's for sure. You're really going to win out. Am I right?
1: Yeah, that's for sure. That's the only way. And honestly, like this is how it goes. Like it's it's you have to take the risks. Sometimes they don't work, by the way. Oftentimes they don't work. And that's and, okay. But right. that's like totally okay. Yeah. And that's the thing. I think people kind of overvalue the like downside. So so then they're like, oh no, I can't have something wrong. I can't be wrong. Or I can't have something wrong happen to me. Therefore, let's not risk it at all. And and they get themselves in situations that are really they don't want to be in, but they feel like they have to because of different things. So it's kind of like once you're kind of free from that, and being 20-something at the time really does have a way of enabling that, might I add. Mm-hmm. Um, it, was, uh, it was kind of that's what made it easier or, or, to join Twitter. To join Twitter and
0: then jump to the open air uh, yeah. starting your own company, Envoy, which was designed to completely revamp and connect an office and workplace. Yes.
1: Where did that concept come from? Yeah, I mean, the contrast you'll have between a Google and a Twitter is enormous. Um, the the Google workplace it's it has every it's like Disneyland for engineers over there okay. It basically it's like you have iPads and all or at the time it was like these custom- made screens on all the different meeting rooms you had like a way of seeing which scooters were available you had a way if you pike a like if you park your bike somewhere it like there was like a website internal website you could go to see where it is and like if it's being moved around and if you wanted to grab it like how long it's been there. Um, they had a thing for the schedule of the buses and for the food. And like, I mean, it's, right. it's Google after all. Um, and, and all of these tools were built internally. Google built all of these. There's different engineers that just thought it would be a great idea to do this. And they did it and, and they built it. And what I noticed was that like Apple also had their whole set of this kind of stuff. Um, Facebook eventually also got all their own stuff like this as well. And there, isn't like some, there wasn't some company that was building these for them, they all did it independently. So when I joined Twitter, I was like, well, this is weird. Um, Google had all this cool stuff, why don't we have all this cool stuff? And they're like, go write it, there's nothing out there. And and then uh, that this is when I was at Twitter and I was like, huh, that's really interesting to know that like companies that, are, that care so much about the user experience, so much about their brand, so much about the environment in which their engineers and people are just working in, huh, that's weird that they wouldn't have this mm. access to this kind of stuff. I right. bet you if they did, this would make a killing. And um,
0: hence Envoy is formed. Okay, yes. so Envoy is born. Talk about the difficulties of beginning this business.
1: I mean, ugh, the early days are really tough. The early days are, are tough because you don't, you don't know if what you're working on is going to be big. You don't know how much to put yourself out there. The more you put yourself out there, the more it's kind of like, hey, if it doesn't work, then there's you know, we're going back to the failure and risk thing. And everybody has some tolerance of risk, and mine is not 1,000%. It's, it's like some normal amount plus a little bit. So what happens is like it actually started as this other company called Outrageous Labs. And it was just like basically a tiny thing. It was a labs company. It just happened that our first product was the one that worked but that's kind of how this goes. Like it's it's like, okay, so so then in these first few months I was basically writing the code for what was the iPad app and the, the website that, that people would go on to kind of administer their uh, the, the product. And at the time the product was just the visitor's product which is where like visitors go into your office, you sign like an NDA with your fingers, maybe you have to like type in your name, email. Um, there's a lot of compliance needs around this kind of stuff. And, and there's a lot of like different kinds of uh, industries. It's not just like tech offices. You're, you're, we're talking about like, it's like schools, factories, uh, warehouses. Um, today it's in something like 14,000 offices uh, worldwide. Oh. And it's, it's kind of like, it all started from, I remember, just like a couple customers that were like, yeah, cool. We wanted, we had an engineer internally start building something like this. And I'm like, Oh, they, we, it's already here. You can use this now. Like, I have it. Like, I have it. I made it. Look at
0: this. Yeah. Well, tell us about the office of the future and what three things you offer. Pick three things that I would notice in an envoy office.
1: Yeah, I think um, the first thing that you'll notice is that it's it's a lot more thoughtful about you coming in. It know, you know where it's it's you know where you're seated. You know who else is going to be around there. It's going to be live and up to date. That's a really the thoughtfulness is really important. If you're the last one in the office and it's eleven o'clock at night, maybe the lights won't just turn off on you. And and that's like the kind of world where it's like it knows you're there and it's highly contextual to to where you where you are and and what you're doing there. I think another thing that's really, really important about this kind of office of the future is also around the data that is available to the company so they can make really smart decisions. It's really, really, it's like this kind of central brain of the office. We're building what is like an office OS. Where all the different things, be it the people moving around, be it the like where where are people on average? Maybe we should open up these desks and turn them into a meeting room. Hey, this space is way underutilized. Um, there's a fact like what is it? Four four to five meeting rooms they're they're uh, they're occupied well, but that one in five meeting rooms is booked but no one's in there. That's a lot of wasted real estate, expensive real estate, might I add, uh, in an office. And, like, this is where the data really could, could show to facilities managers and, and everybody else and security and uh, office managers, depending on the size of the company. It could show them, hey, this is where, this is where you can uh, see some real efficiency benefits.
0: Is it a little big brothery? Help me understand this.
1: It's, it shouldn't be big brothery because it's kind of like you're getting benefits out of it. And it's also like, this is only really with the company and the company already has this information as well. Like they can kind of like, they basically can just walk around and see, hey, this meeting room is wasted. Um, I would very much like to know if, if, if there's a meeting room near me that's available right now as opposed to waiting a week when they finally start opening up because there's always uh, rooms booked in advance. And this applies for desks and and, uh, and so much more. And also who's in the office.
0: Let me ask you about what's happening today. Offices are starting to open up again after the vaccine rollout. Some major companies like Google and Twitter are saying, you know what, stay at home forever if you want. What do you say to that? Will the office ever be the same?
1: I think um, I think it may be similar to the way it was before, but it's gonna be a little while until it is. It's, it's all about this concept of like hybrid work. And, and as, the, as the as people kind of, they're at home now and then they're gonna go to the physical office. This this movement is going to take a while. It's going to take several months to possibly a year or two. And the concept is you want to be able to schedule people who are going in and and when. So it's like a groups of people and and when they're going in, which days of the week and, and where do they sit, by the way? And, and that's a very important piece. It's like, hey, it's gonna place them all together and there's gonna be a meeting room near them. And it's gonna ensure that there's adequate food and that there's adequate, the lighting is gonna work, the floor is open. Uh, these kinds of uh, thoughtful things are what, what people are gonna expect. And, and it needs to be compatible with the people at home. Uh, So so the world that we're going to see in this hybrid work is this concept of it's going to be okay to be at home and it's going to be okay to be at work. It's just you need a way of keeping track of it and being thoughtful about scheduling it.
0: If I asked you, what is the one thing every office really should have? whether it's related to your business or not. Okay. So some people uh, well, a, well, a, a plant on your desk or, or some, t- or, or some type of little mini rock garden to
1: keep you calm. What would it be? I think honestly, I think it's a care for the employee experience. I think that's what, really what it is. Like a, a lot of people see a workplace as this thing that you kind of put a bunch of people inside of, and then that's it. You got a workplace. I think, you'll notice a pattern where all of the major tech companies that really are just taking all of the top slots on, on, on the fortune lists and, and beyond, they all are, have really nice offices. And it's not because they just have money to burn. It's because this is how you attract really great talent by caring about the employees inside the building and by giving them an environment where they feel good working amongst others in high energy, high innovation, high creativity, inspiring places. So what Envoy is doing to help this is basically just helping with like, hey, what can we do to automate all the nitty gritty, all the little things that, that were a pain before, uh, find rooms instantly, find desks, uh, like find people who's in today, uh, find out the news all on a mobile app. Like this is where we see the future. And, and it's just like the workplaces need to earn the people back and they need to do that through experience.
0: Larry, what do you do for fun? I mean, when you're away from building the office of the future and you're away from your office, whether it's at home or at work, what are your hobbies? I'm always interested to know. I mean, you're such an optimistic guy. You you bounce back no matter what failures hit you in building this thing. But what do you do to keep fresh ideas flowing in your mind?
1: Well, there's a lot of stuff going on in crypto these days, that's for uh, sure. <laughs> that's, that's really fun. I know you were talking to uh, uh, like the the NFT guy and it yeah. was like it's it's really interesting. I mean, it's it's a world out there and it's really fun and it's interesting. It's very all the all the projects have like colors all over them. They have these wacky names and and it's a very lighthearted world and I think that that's like just like representative of kind of what I like to see in the world. So it's uh it's kind of like that's what keeps me excited and moving and and I mean I, I don't think Envoy is going to have any kind of like a coin or anything anytime soon but the point is that it's 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 this kind of like great experience that really does win out and and it's kind of like you'll notice a lot of our software is just as great looking it's a new frontier of of kind of the future and of of technology so it's yeah it's it's fun to play with that kind of stuff. I also play games, and and I I can list normal people things too. But I do like uh, I do like my crypto here and there.
0: Oh, like normal people things like playing a game of basketball or something.
1: <laughs> yeah, I I did just water cool my uh, my PC over the over the weekend, so that's really good. Uh, so that was fun. That was fun. That's where you <laughs> basically put a whole bunch of water in your electronics, and you hope that they don't mix. <laughs> You're
0: insane! Oh my gosh. Larry, as we end here, what is the number one thing you want people who are thinking of starting a business to know that really leads to true success?
1: I think it's it's really all about the risk tolerance and the um, it's about like being just sold on something and just doing it no matter what. In a world where people are changing jobs, every one, two, maybe if you're lucky three years, mm-hmm getting in this cycle of like never really learning about what happens to a decision two, three, four, five years down the road. That's when really the interesting kind of insights come out. And I think people need to just like, if I could say one thing, it's like people need to stick with their thing a lot more. And and this is just industry-wide because you do not become really good at something if you keep switching all the variables all the time. And yeah, I think that you can get some really good stuff out of it. You have to be ambitious, though, and you have to constantly push yourself and everybody around you. But yeah, I think it's just like persistence is by far the most important uh, quality that somebody can have. I totally
0: agree. I totally agree. Larry, it's great to hear your story. Good luck with Envoy. Um, I would say make sure that the Office of the Future still has candy in a vending machine that's really important to me
1: <laughs> well, yep. and it'll make sure the vending machine is always stocked that's what the office of the future will be. Uh-huh. i like it good luck to you larry it's great to talk to you thank you so much absolutely thank you
0: very oh, of- good day well you guys i mean i wish that you could just take some of that optimism and that gutsiness that he has and and apply it to yourself You know, it's really important because you get one shot at this life. Guys, we're on this planet for such a short time. Go for it. There's no dress rehearsal. This is it. So I'm wishing you luck. I hope that you glean a lot of energy from this. Thank you so much. And we will see you next time right here on Everyone Talks to Liz.